From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, December 1st. When Cara Dorenwind moved to Moab in 1993, she remembers the creek system in town was basically invisible. There was so much invasive tamarisk and Russian olive growing along Mill Creek, she says you basically had to crawl from 5th West to Rotary Park if you even dared trying to walk along it. Dorenwind's background is in community-driven design and restoration work, so she got involved. She's worked now for over two decades, restoring the creek ecosystem. It's fascinating to her, even all these years later, even after Mill Creek decided to go through her own home during its big flood this summer. I, I, I have actually joked that, you know, Mill Creek really did go out of its way to flood my house. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it really did. It, it, you went, know, it went uphill. It went uphill. I was sitting on my porch that afternoon. We had just come down from Warner. I was sitting on the porch watching the storm and watching the huge black cloud move into Spanish Valley. And then, you know, went on, had dinner, cooked puffball mushroom I had from up on the mountain, decided to make a, a kind of intricate ice cream cone with these weird layers. <laughs> We're in the middle of that and I get a text of, looks like Mill Creek has overtopped these bridge and and I've been watching this and I'm like yeah, this could be a big one and we just kind of figured it would be bad I didn't realize it would be as bad as it was I opened my front gate and looked up towards Main Street and went wow that's a lot of water and then I went wait a minute that's flowing uphill and you know I, I walked out onto first north and logs are slamming into me it was literally 18 inches to two feet tall of the flow, and it was it was it, it was moving. I mean, in my backyard, it got up to the level of my trailer that my boat is on my raft. I could have launched my raft. <laughs> I don't wouldn't have gotten very far, but I could have launched my raft off of this boat, off of the you know into the water. It was crazy how much water came in. I have a Army Corps of Engineers report from 1993 that expressly says that this was more like a 50-year event. So it's not like we didn't know it's coming. The problem is when we haven't had that kind of water in 50 years or more, and most of the people who are old enough to remember when we did, there was less built here, so we, like, where exactly did it go? It might have got into a cow pasture and nobody really paid attention because, oh, that's the pasture's still there. We didn't lose any cows. Everything's good. So I think that there's been some amnesia about it. It's not something that you really think about. And you go, oh, look at this little creek. Oh, it's fine. And you don't think about, well, wait, there's times when it's three times the Colorado River or more. So we kind of stood there and finished our ice cream cones because that was important. And then watched the water come into onto First North and walked up over by the jailhouse cafe and followed as the water started to overtop the, the sidewalk. It then went down that alley. And then I realized that our office was flooding and I realized how much bigger this was getting. Our root cellar door will have a better lock on it next time because the door didn't open until the last five minutes of the flood, which really pissed me off. <laughs> The fact that 15 people I had never met before showed up at my house was crazy. And I know that happened all over town. It wasn't just people that were only helping people they knew. It was people going, who needs help? Okay, 
great. I don't know you. What do you need? I mean, that's awesome. For over four days i like i didn't i literally did not step foot off of that property line. i didn't go to the post office i didn't go anywhere people were kind enough to bring us some food now and again which was great because i think i would have forgotten to eat um and then i finally got out and started to like look at the creeks partly based on talking with people oh you live there oh you had water there when was that did it have debris in it so i'm getting a picture of where did the water really go? Which is fascinating to me. What happened is the city streets became the high flow channel. It's pretty amazing. And once, they, once the city streets become the high flow channel, there's nowhere for them to go. The water that came to my house left the creek corridor at first east near the Bike Skills Park. It flooded the basement of the Greenwell. It flooded the Cocopelli. It flooded Dewey's. A whole bunch of one inch thick full sheets of OSB from Dewey's remodel ended up in my yard. That was actually really handy. Then it you know, made its way. So I've been trying to kind of pinpoint like how did it get there and then how much farther north did it go? This year is definitely the biggest monsoon season that the Southwest has seen in a long time. It could be the same next year. And with climate change, who knows? You know, all bets are off. What I would like to do and what I would like to see happen is have a collaborative effort. I mean, I, this is my background, community-driven design, but have it be something that we all work together to some degree. And how could I keep that water out? You know, there's definitely some thinking that has to happen and it won't happen like tomorrow. But I think we can get more creative if we all, if we talk about it as a community, you know, I mean, we all have to live with it. Do you think, after this experience, do you think, do you still think floods are cool? Oh yeah, they're amazing. I want to use other expletives, but I want you to be able to use this tape. No, they're, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Cara Dornwend is the executive director of Rim to Rim Restoration. She personally mapped out how the water from Mill Creek moved through the valley in its big flood this August by doing her own interviews with locals. Dornwind's nonprofit seeks to build community and facilitate regenerative landscapes. You can find out more at revegetation.org. This was an audio portrait. Big thanks to Kara for spending time with us. The Great Salt Lake reached record lows this year, and Utah lawmakers are scrambling for solutions. One key factor will be preserving the largest river that feeds the lake. As the Mountain West News Bureau's Will Walkie reports, solutions aren't easy to find. I'm standing on a dam at a migratory bird refuge in northern Utah. Here, the 500-mile Bear River meets the Great Salt Lake. Mosquitoes and wasps are swarming my microphone, so it's not my favorite spot. But for birds like the Wilson's phalarope, this is a critical fuel stop on their journey from western Canada to Argentina. They usually have to double their weight when they're here so they can make it to South America on a nonstop flight, which is a pretty incredible uh, journey. 
That's John Luft with the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. He says that for 10 million-plus migratory birds, a shrinking lake puts their habitat under threat. The lake's surface covered more than 3,000 square miles in the 1980s. Today, that number is less than 1,000. That's something even national news is increasingly concerned about. Now to what some tonight are calling a looming environmental nuclear bomb in Utah. Officials now sounding the alarm about climate change and the worsening drought pushing it to the brink of an ecological crisis. The consequences of a dried up Great Salt Lake affect more than just birds. It threatens Utah's brine shrimp and mining industries. And toxic remnants of an industrial past could be kicked up into the air in dust storms. Joel Ferry is a fifth generation Utah rancher and farmer. He says residents are starting to get concerned about the issue. And we have to recognize that it's not a unlimited resource. Ferry was appointed by the governor to help manage the state's natural resources, and he says one key to reversing trends on the Great Salt Lake is preserving more water from the rivers that feed it, like the Bear River. The Bear runs through three states and supplies more than half the water flowing into the lake. The Bear River is the key to saving Great Salt Lake, and that's where our focus should be. But the river's watershed has had below-average precipitation four of the past five years. It also faces a lot of pressure from people who depend on it and from climate change. Adrian Hunolt is a Wyoming rancher near the river's headwaters. So it seems like we're at the extremes up here now. So we'll have like an extremely low snow year, and then we'll have a, a tremendous snow year. Hunolt lives at 7,800 feet, mostly among windswept sagebrush fields. He only has a 60-day growing season made possible because he diverts water from the Bear River to his hayfield. Hundreds of landowners in Wyoming, Idaho, and Utah do the same thing. And so what I need to be able to do is bank grass during the summer so that I can use it in the fall and winter. So for example, where these cows and horses are right here, I've been, we've basically been irrigating these meadows here all summer. The water eventually gets filtered back into the river, and Hunolt's wetlands create habitat for birds, moose, and beaver. But farming in the sensitive watershed is controversial. A Utah State University study found that agriculture makes up almost two-thirds of the water diverted for human use in the Great Salt Lake watershed. Hunolt points to development downstream as the problem. I don't feel like things have really changed that much up here at this spot in the valley in the last 150 years. But the Great Salt Lakes continued to dry up, so I, I would have a hard time finding how we're contributing to that. Utah legislators passed a number of laws this year trying to get landowners to use less water. The governor also put a hold on new water rights, and the state may even pay farmers not to grow crops like alfalfa. Joel Ferry says agriculture is willing to do its part to conserve. I mean, I see it in my own life. I see it in my neighbors. There's an inherent desire to make your farm better, to be more productive to be sustainable. What might not be sustainable, though, is projected growth in Utah, 2.2 million people in the next four decades, and the state may divert more from the Bear River for this population. With so many competing interests, compromises are going to be hard to find. The question is, can local legislators and residents figure out a fair plan to save the Great Salt Lake before it's too late? For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Will Walkie. This story is from our partners at the Mountain West News Bureau. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, December 1st. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.